today, um, we're going to jump right into the video and then have a lot of discussion and in interactive stuff afterwards. The video is only like 20 minutes and we're only doing one. Um, I will say though, pay attention because there's got to be questions and uh, some of the stuff that he says might help you in the exercise that we're going to do afterwards. Um, if you can't hear online people at any point, um, send a chat. Um, and I was going to say one other thing. Oh, the <laughs> today's topic is kind of, I don't know what was a good name for it, but it's kind of how did we retain the New Testament? So like, how did we get it? But not in terms of how did we pick which books to put in it, but how did we, how do we make sure that we have the same New Testament that was written almost 2000 years ago? So how was that relayed over time? All right. I think there's a book that's been passed around, you know, throughout the generations and it's been written over and over so many times, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say if that's the true word or not. My, my opinion, just with pretty much every religion is there's a lot of stories and a lot of things get mixed up. I mean, especially since everything that was said was from thousands of years ago, so. Okay, so now let's deal with that question. Is the New Testament we have today the same as what was originally written, you see? So we want to know, has it been messed up or corrupted? How do, we, how do we get from the original documents to what we have today? And was there any confusion or mistakes or complete mess up in that whole process? Okay, so in order to answer this question, we need to understand the New Testament transmission process and the method that scholars use to determine the accuracy of our copy versus the original. So let's start from the beginning. And we got these original documents. And these are what New Testament scholars call the autographs. The autographs are the original documents. Let's say it's the original uh, Gospel of John, or whatever the original might be. It could be 1 Corinthians or 1 Peter or Gospel of John, whatever it is. This, these are the autographs. These are the original documents. All right. And what happened was, obviously, the original document was written. Let's just, let's just work with the Gospel of John for, for our example here. The original Gospel was written. And then what happened was, that Gospel went through a big copying process. It got copied a whole lot of times, okay? A whole copying process by people called scribes. 
people who just sat down and obviously they didn't have copying machines, they had to hand write this thing out over and over on papyrus or something, okay? So I went through a whole copying process by scribes and they produce copies, obviously. These copies are what New Testament scholars call manuscripts. You see, manuscripts. All right, so we got the original. The original gets copied a whole lot of times by scribes and the product of that process are what we, is what we call the manuscripts, okay? And we have a whole lot of manuscripts, okay? There are just thousands of these, thousands of, of different manuscripts. Now, if you're wondering where these things are, these manuscripts are located in university libraries all over the world. They're in places like the Vatican, uh, different museums, old monasteries. So they're, they're scattered about all over the world. But many of these things now have been digitally preserved. Some of them you can even see online. This, these copies, these manuscripts, these are what New Testament scholars have to work with. We don't have the autographs anymore. We don't have the original Gospel of John. We don't have the original 1 Corinthians or the, any of them. We don't have any of the autographs anymore. And some people think, well, if you don't have the original, then you can't possibly know what was really there, you see. And that's just false. For, 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 and the reason why is, is what I'm going to tell you here in a minute. But this whole copying process, we want to know, did it get messed up? Did something get messed up in this whole copying process? And so on. So the New Testament we have today, when they go and make a new translation, whether it be the NAB or the RSV or whatever, what they do is they look at these manuscripts. And we have, again, like I said, a whole lot of them. They can't look at the original documents. They got to look at the manuscripts because that's just, that's just all we have to work with. So the question is, obviously now, how do we know that these manuscripts are the same as the original? We don't have the original anymore. So people think, oh gosh, how can you possibly know, you see? Well, to answer that question, we would, we would to have confidence that the manuscripts we have today, which is what our New Testament is based upon, the manuscripts, you see, to have confidence that, that we can get an, uh, an accurate original out of all these copies, we would want to have a few things, wouldn't we? We would want, first of all, we would want these manuscripts to be very old. We wouldn't want a whole lot of, a, a long time gap. We wouldn't want just, you know, centuries, a millennium to go by before the copies were ever made. We would want the copies to be relatively close to the original document. So that's the first thing we would want. So in order to have confidence that, that we, can, we, can, we can get a, a, an accurate reconstruct, an accurate original, you see, from the manuscripts, we would want, the first thing we would want is we would want these manuscripts to be relatively old. We wouldn't want a whole lot of time between those things. We would want old copies. We wouldn't want a big gap between, between the manuscript, the, the writing of the manuscripts and the writing of the original autograph, you see. And the second thing we would want is a lot of manuscripts. We wouldn't just want some old ones that were just, there's just one here and one there. The, the, the more the better. The more copies we have, the more manuscripts we have, the better because the more, you, the more copies we have, the easier it is to, to sort of discern the anomalies. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. So we would want not just old copies, but we would want a lot of copies. Okay, we'd want a lot of those things. The more the better. Okay. And a third thing we would want, I think, is a very trustworthy 
methodology for going through these copies and, and discerning the original work itself, okay? We'd want a trustworthy methodology for figuring all this out. A trustworthy methodology, finish this word here, for digging through all these manuscripts and finding out, reconstructing the, the original. Can we do that in a trustworthy way? If we have those three things, then I think we can have a very high confidence that we can reconstruct an original document that's very, very accurate indeed. And it turns out, when it comes to the New Testament, we actually have all three of these qualifications. We can have a very high confidence in our reconstruction. Why do I say that? Well, first of all, we do have very, very old copies. So we can kind of check that one off. Yes, we do have old copies. The manuscripts we have are very, very old, especially relative to the other manuscript evidence and other parts of ancient history and other, on other works. The manuscript evidence for the New Testament is in fact very old, okay? We got manuscripts that go way back to AD 125, and this, is even, this isn't even counting some citations from the church fathers and so on, okay? So if someone says we can't trust the Gospels because there is a big gap between the writing of the original and the writing of the copies, that's just simply not true. That's a big misunderstanding. If we can't trust the New Testament because of the gap between original and copies, we would have to distrust nearly all of ancient history by that same standard. So by, by, by comparison, we can say that, that the New Testament does very, very well in the age category. We have very old copies relative to other areas of ancient history, so we're going to check this thing off here. The second element we would want for confidence in our, in our copy versus the original, the second thing we would want are we would want a lot of copies. And again, we have that with the New Testament manuscripts. We have bunches of copies. Sometimes scholars say over 5,000 different manuscripts that we can look at. It just depends on what work you're talking about. But the more copies we have, the better, because again, the more copies we have, it's easier to single out the anomalies. And we'll talk more about that when we get to that third element. But we do, in fact, have a whole lot of copies. And matter of fact, Professor Daniel Wallace writes, the amount of material we have today for determining the wording of the autographs is staggering. Almost 6,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts, as many as 20,000 manuscripts for other versional manuscripts, and more than one million quotations by church fathers. In comparison with the average ancient Greco-Roman author, the copies of the New Testament are more than a thousand times more plentiful. So there's just a wealth of manuscript evidence to work with. We have a whole lot of these things, especially in comparison to other ancient historical works, okay? So, again, we do have, we check that one off too, we have a lot of copies. We have old copies and we have a lot of them. The third thing we need is a trustworthy methodology and we do in fact have that. We have what we call, what scholars call, textual criticism textual criticism. What does that mean? It just kind of just exactly what it says, textual criticism. It's a process by which we determine an original based upon copies. What do we do? How do we do that? Well, basically they, they gather up all the manuscripts. Say we're talking about the Gospel of John. We'll gather up all these different manuscripts from the Gospel of John, lay them side by side, and we look for differences. We look for what we call variants. Just little 
little differences. Say, say this, this, one, this one manuscript here has a, little, has a little word that's different, or maybe a word that's misspelled, or whatever the case may be, in comparison to the other 500 you know, manuscripts, whatever the case may be. All right? So this one has a little different, a little variant here compared to the rest. Well, that's an anomaly. We can kind of throw that anomaly out. Clearly, that, that writer made a mistake, so we can kind of... That's easy to see when you have so many to compare it to. Maybe this one over here, this manuscript here, has a little variant in it, and it stands out amongst all the others because the other ones don't have that. So we can throw that variant out. And by this process of textual criticism, laying these things out side by side, looking for the variants, and we find them, we can throw them out, we can reconstruct an original with a very high degree of confidence. So let's put this in terms of numbers. There are about 138,000 words in the Greek New Testament, and there are about 400,000 textual variants in the manuscripts themselves. That sounds like a lot of variants. That sounds like a lot of quote-unquote errors. 400,000. Wow. It sounds like they're messing up all the time. But what you have to remember is, is that the reason why we have 400,000 variants is because we have so many manuscripts. Again, we have thousands and thousands of hand-copied manuscripts, so of course there are going to be variants. But the great majority of these, of these variants are spelling errors and synonyms. That's the process of textual criticism. And really, no one doubts this anymore when it comes to the New Testament. Even the most critical scholars agree that the copy we have of our New Testament is very, very close to the original. It's, it's reconstructed to a very high degree of, of probability to the original document itself. So this is a very objective discipline. And even the critics we have today admit that the Gospels we have or that the New Testament we have is very, very is a very, very accurate representation of the original document. And almost again, like I said, almost no one doubts this anymore. So I think we can say that there's another popular piece of nonsense exposed here. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you can't trust the Gospels or the New Testament. It had some stuff written in later. You know, someone messed that up and changed it later on. That, that got changed later on. Well, that can't possibly happen. For example, how could you possibly change all the manuscripts? They're, they're scattered all over the Mediterranean world in different languages. How could one person go in and change all those manuscripts? That would be like trying to change a, a copy of the New York Times after it's been published and distributed. There's no way you could go through and change all those copies, you see. So people that say that just don't know, they don't understand the process of the transmission of New Testament documents. They, they just don't get it. You see, so when people say things like the manuscripts, the, the, the New Testament was corrupted or that someone wrote that stuff in later, they, they, just, they just don't understand the process of how we come to arrive at our copy of the New Testament. They don't understand textual criticism. They don't understand the whole manuscript, the manuscript copying process. They don't get how all that stuff works. So I think we can be virtually certain now that the New Testament we have today is an accurate representation of the original work. You see, no other ancient work is so available in so many copies and languages, and yet all agreeing for the most part in content. I'm not saying that there aren't variants amongst the different uh, manuscripts. There are, but they're very, very minor, and usually they consist of just unintentional mistakes. There may be a little spelling error in this one, or a little grammatical error over here, but you know, more, more or less, these things agree very, very much in their content. By that process, we can be very, very confident that the copy we have of the New Testament today is indeed the same as the original. 
But how do we know that these writings themselves have been properly uh, preserved? After all, these Gospels were written down more than 19 centuries ago. And, uh, and our oldest copies, you know, only reach back to the beginning of the third century, our oldest substantial copies. Well, you know, there's no reason for skepticism there at all. Because what a lot of people don't realize is that books in antiquity were expensive and they were precious and they lasted a long time. We tend to think of, you know, writings like a cheap paperback, and you're, you know, you read it and a couple of friends read it and the spine is split and it's falling apart and it's thrown in the trash. That's not the way it was with books made of leather or made of papyrus in antiquity. These books lasted a long time. We now have uh, positive evidence from uh, excavations of huge amounts of materials from antiquity, hundreds of thousands of documents. From the time of Jesus, a little before and a little after, where 53 intact libraries have been recovered, accompanied with correspondence, so that we actually have a history of the library. And you know what we've learned? Books were in use and in circulation for 200 to 300 years never less than 150 and sometimes as long as five six hundred years do you realize what that means when let's let's date the Gospels just 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 to throw out one date let's say they were all Matthew Mark and Luke the three synoptics all three of them are written by the year 75 I think in fact they're probably earlier but anyway 75 even if we go with the minimal number of survivability rates or longevity that'd be 150 years do you realize that means the originals of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are circulating 150 years later. That takes us into the year 225. Do you know that's our oldest copies? We have big chunks, P45 for the Gospels, P66, P72. We have big chunks of the Gospels uh, that are survive or extant in manuscripts that date to this period of time, the late 2nd century, early 3rd century. When these were written down, the originals are still circulating. Tertullian, the church father, in a, in a text that he was writing, probably in the year in Latin, in about the year 190, he refers to the autographs. A lot of people, oh, he can't be serious. How can, he says, you, you don't believe me? Go check out the autographs of Paul's letters. They're in Herapolis. People, but he, he can't be, that can't be right. Paul's letters would be 140 years old by then. Yeah, well, now we know he probably was right. And autographic letters are the easiest ones to spot because the penmanship changes at the end when the guy writes his name, the author writes his name. And so uh, th this idea of skepticism uh, about the text losing its integrity and going all crazy in all directions, there's no basis for that. And so the original Matthew would be floating around. People would be copying Matthew in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, on into the second century, on until it's finally fallen apart by the end of the second century. So we don't just have, and by the way, we don't just have one copy. There's never one copy. Matthew didn't issue one copy and then hope and pray it didn't get lost. It would have been at least two. And many of Paul's letters would have circulated in, in uh, as multiple copies. We know that from the papyri that have been found at Oxyrhynchus and elsewhere. There were circular letters, circular uh, decrees from Caesar, uh, things that were meant to be read in lots of locations. Paul's letters were like that. Ephesians is a clear example. James, another example. Probably 1 Peter, same thing. There would have been multiple copies, so, so the survivability and longevity would be very increased. So if there were two or three originals of Matthew and two or three originals of Mark, 
uh, it's, it's the possibility uh, and likelihood would be quite great that they would last 100 years, 150 years, and reach right into the period of time that we have attested now, where we can go to libraries and look at documents that were written around the year 200, and when they were written, the originals were still available for comparison. So there's, in my view, no grounds at all for saying, well, who knows, the text has been changed, we don't know what was originally written. No grounds at all for that kind of skepticism. Can anyone hear me? Can everyone hear the video properly? I presume so, because no one texted me. Otherwise, maybe all you guys are having a party and just pretending. <laughs> okay. Um, I think, personally for me, one of the facts that I found really cool, um, and I, I think I heard this somewhere else as well, though it may have been these videos when I watched them weeks ago. So um, was that last fact that he mentioned about how long books lasted and how long documents lasted because they were collected into books and, and kept safe and they were made quality, right? Because paper was expensive, leather was expensive. And so they didn't just make something so that it you know, would get discarded. They, their intention was for this to last long. Um, and of course, God in his awesomeness works it so that, you know, the, the oldest surviving manuscript we have in existence would have fallen, um, right when the originals would have been falling apart, right? Um, God on purpose didn't even leave a gap. So it's crazy to think that the the oldest documents we have that you can still if you're special enough touch with your hands today could have been sitting next to the originals and copied right um i also loved his point about the fact that there's more than likely more than one original because that was how people did things back in those days especially with uh, the letters, which would make sense because we know Paul expected his letters to be read in multiple places. So it would be silly to make one copy and then be like, okay, send it on, right? It would make more sense since he was writing it and he had a lot of time to write because most of the time he was in prison to just copy the same letter in his own hand. And I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have made a mistake, right? It's his own words and he sends it all out. So we're not just having this one copy and hoping nothing happens to it. There are probably multiple originals which make the survivability rate increase because even if you lost one or two, you would still have at least a few left. Um, it's still very likely that the gospel writers also had a copy. I mean, to put together that much work, again, in antiquity, that took a lot of time, it took a lot of effort and money, and for them to just be like, well, I'm going to make this one copy and hope nothing happens to it doesn't really make sense because every single person who wrote a gospel wrote it very intentionally. So I don't think they would have risked it getting lost. So they probably, most probably made a copy, but even if they didn't, the fact that these books could last on the extreme side um, 
500 to, do you say 500, 600 or 400 to 500? I can't remember. Let's just say 500. On the extreme side, 500 years a book could last at the very minimum 150. So taking the most conservative approach of 150, the originals were most likely sitting next to the documents that we still have today. Now, um, granted, the, the earlier documents you take of ours, the less complete they are. So the older they are, the more likely they are to be like pieces, like torn or, you know, fragments and stuff like that. You're not going to have a complete gospel. Um, but I, he was saying that in the, um, the third century, so the year 200s onwards, that's the first time we have a complete um, New Testament manuscript, so the entire New Testament. And again, the books, if we're conservative, 150 years, right? And the latest years they could have been written were the 70s and then um, John in the 90s. So add 150 years to that, you're still touching our first entire copy of the New Testament. So whether you're looking at the fragments or whether you're looking at the entire book, the probability that the original still existed at that time were very, very high. And considering that people took this as the word of God, I think they would have had a very strict methodology of like, let's compare. I have this manuscript, you know, let me go and look at the originals. And I also loved his point about, um, I think it was Tacticius, I could get the name wrong now, who was speaking about Paul's letters and he, in 150 AD. So that would have been approximately 100 years after Paul wrote his letters. And he says, if you don't believe me, go look at Paul's original letters. They're in, I think he said, Herapolis. Mm -hmm. And scholars, um, until recently, were going, that's ridiculous. It's 100 years later. There's no way these letters were still circulating. But now after recent archaeological finds and we've discovered that stuff can last hundreds of years from antiquity, now we know that most likely he was correct. So we know for a fact in 150 AD, Paul's letters were still existent. And Paul wrote his letters before the gospels were written. So his letters were older. So if the older thing was still around in 150, it's highly probable that the newer ones would still be around in 150. Okay, so I thought that was really cool. Um, and he threw out a lot of facts. So I thought instead of me kind of like reading them back to you, I'd kind of show it to you in a visual format. Uh, so if you're someone listening online uh, and you're not here right now, this is gonna really suck for you because you're not gonna see anything. So <laughs> I would highly recommend that if you have access to the YouTube video that you watch it instead of just listening, um, at least just for this session, because uh, it's gonna be very visual. Also, don't judge my skills. I literally threw this together last minute last night. So even though I am a data analyst, don't be like, wow, I hope that's not what she hands into her boss every week. Um, also, I do want to say that I am not a scholar. So all numbers that you're going to see are rounded off. And what I could find on a not very intense Google search. So I might be off, 
but I try to, especially when I was dealing with non uh, biblical texts, I was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. So if there was a 200 year gap, I made it newer for them to like, you know, be safe. Um, so the first thing I'm going to show you is this. So this is the number of New Testament manuscripts we have compared to other well, inverted commas, documented other historical works. So as you can see, you can barely see them because there's so little. <laughs> and then we have the New Testament over here. So here we have the 6,000 uh, Greek manuscripts. And so these are the oldest ones and the ones um, that are uh, probably the most accurate. And then we have the Latin Vulgate. These are a little older, but not that old. I'd say, if I remember correctly, from like 480 onwards. And then we have other manuscripts. So this includes everything that's in another language or a fragment. And then what I didn't include is the 1 million quotations by church fathers, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to see anything on this graph whatsoever. Um, and remember quotations count, right? If it's quoted verbatim what's in the text, it's another attestation to the fact that that document is correct and accurate. So here you have um, just around 25,000 manuscripts that attest to the New Testament. Um, since you can't see the numbers here, I'm gonna read some facts out to you. Um, let me actually show you my other graph first. So the second graph here, I then took um, the same documents as well as um, the types of copies we had. So you'll notice here we have Homer's Iliad other manuscripts and Homer's Iliad um, papyri, so papyrus. So, um, and this indicates age. Um, so if we presume someone wrote something on a certain date, this graph shows how many years pass until the oldest surviving document that we have. So if we go, what is the oldest manuscript with Homer's Iliad on it? And let's say it was in um, 11, 1180. And we go, okay, when do scholars say Homer wrote that? And we go, well, we think it was 300 BC. What is the difference? And that would have been 1,400 years, right? So this is showing the gap between when they wrote versus the older surviving document that we have. And as we go down, you're going to see it gets less and less and less until you get to the Bible. So we have the other language manuscripts over here in the green going up to 400 years max gap. And then we have this Livy's historical works, which I'm going to make a comment on in a bit. So remember this one that seems to beat one of the Bible um, manuscripts. And then you have the Latin manuscripts, which are only about uh, 300 years max difference. And then you have the Greek ones, which are the most important ones. And they're the earliest one we have. There's only a 60 year difference between when it was written versus the one we have today. 60 years is nothing, right? For an old document, that's pretty amazing. Um, 
So I'm going to read you the facts now. And I'm reading from, I'll show it to the camera in a bit. It's called The Lion and the Lamb. It's a theology textbook that I'm doing in my theology course. So Homer's Iliad over here at number two has in existence 343 copies, which is pretty good. It's not 25,000, but it's pretty good. Um, then Julius Caesar, gosh, where is he? Why is he? Oh, there you go. Julius Caesar has 10 copies, the earliest of which dates to a thousand years after it was written. Uh, I'm going to skip Livy because that one was interesting. Uh, Tacitus, there we go. Tacitus, histories and annals. We have two surviving copies from the 9th and 11th centuries. The history of Thucydides. Um, eight copies from the 10th century. The history of Herodotus over here. Um, the oldest copy we have was 1300 years later than the original. Okay. The writings of Plato over there. We have seven copies. And then Beowulf, we have one copy still existent today. So for Livy, this was a, a, a Roman historian. And you might say, wow, Livy did pretty well in comparison to everyone else. He even beat the, the other language um, New Testament manuscripts. Okay. But listen to this. Livy wrote 142 books of Roman history, of which a mere 35 survive in only 20 manuscripts. Only 35 of 142 survived in a total of only 20 manuscripts. Only one of those 20 is as old as the fourth century. Okay, so here's why he got um, such a low amount because I took the, the, the earliest, right? So there was one that was from the fourth century. So 300 and something AD, only one, the rest are way, way older. And guess why this one manuscript survived being so old. It had a copy of the book of Hebrews on the back of it. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Um, I thought that was interesting. Okay. so. Um, I'm going to open it for a few seconds of questions and then we're going to do what hopefully will be a fun exercise and I'm going to give you a few minutes to do it uh, so don't rush through it but before that any comments or questions or something you thought was interesting or cool you guys must find something cool you wouldn't be coming back every week hopefully I mean I think it's interesting that like there's a lot of people that a lot of more lay people, I guess, like everyday people, but like just don't believe that the Bible could be like, that it's legit. And yeah, like we teach Plato in school. Like he was a philosophy almost minor. <laughs> and like, yeah, so it's like they teach it at, mm -hmm. you know, college, not that they don't teach Bible school at colleges either, but like, they teach Plato at school, like, and it's, and he's completely, like, accepted by pretty much everybody 
as like being truth or whatever and mm-hmm. there's what two copies or what like okay. 10 or something seven 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 copies. yeah and then yeah. we have like twenty five thousand copies of the bible and then people are like yeah maybe not yeah <laughs> again remember earlier on i said there's that double standard historians are like this is how we evaluate documents except if they come from the bible mm-hmm. right you can't do that you have to have a certain standard right mm-hmm. it's like in any other field would you do that like oh well you know um we will come we never combine these two chemicals unless you know a person you hate comes in the hospital then it's okay then we can combine them and kill them like there if science is science it needs to be consistent right um anyone else donna well i was just thinking that just like the sheer number of manuscripts that we still have is it's just staggering because to me that wasn't really common knowledge you know and like hearing how many there are it just really like solidifies like my like trust in the new testament and and just like gives me like so much more um i can't think of the word like it just gives me like a stronger basis for understanding it and like trusting it Mm -hmm. also what she just said reminded me everything that we're looking at now is only in the new testament we're not even looking at all the document evidence for the old testament right so that number is even bigger than that and um we're lucky well not lucky i'm pretty sure god planned it this way the the hebrew people have always been very meticulous in how they copied biblical text like it was you could not make a mistake if you made one mistake the the scroll wasn't usable and so you had to bury it they used to have scroll graveyards because they're like well it still contains the words of god so we can't throw it away or burn it but we can't distribute it because there's a mistake so they buried them like they had a funeral for them type of thing so they took copying the old testament very seriously so um even though the old testament is way older the methodology they used was so much stricter because they really had a a high esteem for the word of God. So they didn't want to make a mistake. So we have way more than 25,000 for the Bible in general, 25,000 is just for the new Testament, excluding 1 million um, early church father quotations, which is crazy. Because again, a lot of these other manuscripts we talk about, by the way, this is the book, um, the lion and the lamb. It's actually a condensed version of a massive textbook called The Cradle, the Cross, and the Crown. It's actually really great. I thought it was going to be boring, but it's been very interesting and easy to read, and I highly recommend it. We're going to keep going back to it a lot um, over the next few weeks. And now I lost my train of thought because I picked that up. Oh, um, the other people that we're talking about, the other documents, a lot of the times the reason we know what they said is because of quotations and stuff like that. So they have that standard for them. They're like, well, quotations count for these other books, but Christians are being conservative and saying, okay, you know, we won't even count the quotations. Let's just look at the manuscripts. All right. So this is going to be the exercise. Uh, Again, if you are listening to this later and you're not watching the video, this is going to suck for you. So please go to the YouTube video instead. Um, You are going to practice textual criticism 
And so you're going to have a fake set of manuscripts to look at. And I want you to, to determine either which one you think is the closest to the original or which one is exactly what the original said. So if you're like, I think the original said this, state that, or if you're like, document B is, I think, the most accurate, then you say that. I'm going to give you a good amount of time to look at it. So don't be like, <gasps> and try like rush through it. Um, I'll give you at least five minutes. Uh, if you need more, I'll give you that. But I, I want you to like enjoy the process and, and take into mind the things that have been said, but also use your logic. Because at the end of the day, logic is important. And a lot of scholars use that when they're looking at all these manuscripts. Um, and I will also say everything is important that you're about to see. So look for everything, not just what's written. Look at everything. All right. So for those who are listening online, I am going to read it out. It's going to suck for you. Maybe you can just like replay it over and over or something. Oh, no, Jack. Bye, Jack. You got to do it on your own later. <laughs> okay. So some background first. Ugh, that screen sharing thing is going to be a problem. So this is background. Uh, the document that you're going to be investigating is called The Story About an Adventurer. It's called Perilous Paths. The original document was written between 1 AD and 56 AD in Gaul, which is modern day France. The original does not exist anymore. Other writings by the same author are still in circulation. Here's an excerpt. Okay, so you're not going to be able to see the screen when I turn over. So pay, try and remember everything that you're reading and seeing now to help you out. So the um, another document by the same author reads as follows. We walked for eternities with Beast as companion. She danced with starlight and led me to wonder how I wish her visage remained ingrained in my mind forever. Not so. Year upon year erased her, water upon stone. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to reread and look at everything. Okay. You're given the following eight documents, manuscripts, etc., and you have to determine which of these is the closest to the original as possible or what the original said. This top thing will go away in a few seconds. You have about five minutes.
For those listening online later who refuse to watch the video, I'll read it out loud to you, but it's going to be really hard for you to figure it out without seeing it. Scroll A says she watched the waterfall. It comes from 60 AD in Greece on a scroll. Manuscript B says she stood by the waterfall and wept. It comes from 102 AD in Greece on a codex. Manuscript C says she stood by the waterfall and it wept. It comes from 254 AD from Gaul on papyrus. Manuscript D says she wept as she stood by the waterfall. It comes from 76 AD on Greece it, from Greece on a scroll. Document E says she went to the waterfall called wept. It comes from 1400 AD in England in a book. Document F says the waterfall wept as she stood there and watched. It comes from 350 AD in Belgium, quoted by Cassosis in Traveling Myths and Truths. Um, document G says, it, it is a fragment, so it's torn apart and you can't see everything, but what it says is, she stood, our fall, period, it wept. So it's broken apart, you can't really read it. Um, it's from 600 AD in Spain, and it's a fragment. And lastly, document H says, she stood by the waterfall and it seemed to weep which comes from uh, Egypt in 80 AD and it's on parchment. For those who are still looking at this, you have one more minute. Okay. Um, okay. Does anyone want to take a guess? I can say which one it's not. <laughs> Okay, don't do that yet because we're gonna we're gonna do that next. Do you, who wants to take a stab at, at what they think the original said? I'm confused. I'm gonna go with H. She stood by the waterfall and it seemed to weep. Okay. My guess is B. She stood by the waterfall and wept. Okay. So far, no illogical answers. <laughs> I'm not saying if you're right or wrong. Anyone else wants to give it a go? Any in-person people? <laughs> okay. Um, can we eliminate any of these? E. Okay, why are we eliminating E? Um, I don't remember where the original one was from, but I don't think it was anywhere near England. Um, and it's a, the time frame is really off, and it seems like a bad translation. Okay, so. Um, two of your points are correct. 
It is very recent compared to when the original was written, uh, which was between zero and I think 56, somewhere yeah, in the one. 50s. Um, so it is old. Uh, compared to all the other manuscripts, it's very different, okay? And so if you have one document that says something different to all the others that you have, more than likely that's incorrect. You did say one thing though, which is not truthful. Um, it, the original was written in Gaul, which is France, and the distance between manuscripts is actually not a, a it doesn't um, undermine the validity of a text. In fact, the opposite is true. The more widespread the distance, if they say the same thing, the more likely that is to be the correct thing, um, which I'll come back to. Um, is there anything else we can eliminate? Don't be shy. The worst that can happen is you're wrong. <laughs> How about G as well? Why do you say G? Um, so it's still a little, um, a little too recent, but it's also hard to, um, just the integrity of it makes it hard to judge if it's accurately what we're looking for. Okay. I, mm -hmm. And it's from later, like, or more recent. Mm -hmm. and so it's still close to us. it is more recent. However, this is why it's important when you're looking at a manuscript to compare it to all manuscripts. So we won't throw out something if one thing seems a little off, but we compare it to everything else and we make a judgment. And so, yes, it is more recent, but if you compare to the other documents, it seems to be consistent with what's being said, at least with two or three other documents. So we're not going to throw it out just yet. Um, also, the fact that it's a fragment does not mean that it's not accurate. Uh, if we did that, we would have to throw out a lot of the New Testament because our oldest surviving document is actually a fragment, I think, of the Gospel of John, which is only about, about 60 years old. Um, um, so we're not going to throw it out just yet. We're going to keep comparing it to the others and see if we should throw it out later or whether we're going to keep it. Any last takers before we really dive in? Um, does I, the handwriting matter? Maybe. Okay. Because <laughs> B and H are the same as the first one. Mm. So. So good observation, <laughs> good observation. So handwriting wouldn't count generally when you're looking at a manuscript over time, because obviously that person dies. But I did handwriting on purpose to show style, mm -hmm. uh, which is something that scholars do look at. So that's the reason I showed you the earlier document, because I wanted you to see two style things about it. One was the handwriting, which again, realistically you would look at, but I needed to convey style in a very obvious visual way. Um, 
So the style is the same as if as at least three of the documents on here. One. Yeah, the G1. Okay. So that helps us a little because we're like, hmm, the style is the same. But that doesn't mean that those are accurate because someone could have still been conveying the style of the original author. So that's one thing that when we look at Paul in his writings, Paul has a style. And so if the style is continually conveyed in documents, <laughs> then we know that we probably have an accurate representation of something that Paul wrote. Okay. Um, and then the second thing about style, what's happening? They're under the couch. Oh, They're sorry. Rumbling. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second thing about style and you, unless you paid like a lot of attention, you might not have realized it, but in this original, uh, well, not original, the other document we have from the same writer, you'll notice that they use a lot of metaphorical language. And they use a lot of short sentences, not so, water upon stone, like not jointed, not using uh, con conjunctions. What's that word that joins two sentences Conjunct together? Um, Is it? Uh, yeah. Okay. It's been a long time since I've had to think about those words. Okay. Um, so we're keeping that in mind. Again, that doesn't mean that B, G, and H are accurate, but it helps us when we're looking at this. So go away. Okay. Okay. So here's another one that we can eliminate, which at first might have confused you. Document A, we can eliminate because it is so different in what it says to all the others. She watched the waterfall. Nowhere did we ever read the word watched. Okay. Even though it might be a logical conclusion well, that about, if she was. What about the Belgian? Belgian, Belgian. F. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot that one. But compared to the overwhelming right. evidence, That's we don't question. have anything about her standing, which almost everyone else seems to say something about standing there. Only one other says something about watched, and it's a more recent translation, though that doesn't eliminate it. We have to take all these things into mind. Um, and it says nothing about the weeping, something weeping, which all the other documents, even the England book, which was obviously a terrible translation, um, retained, right? So we're going to eliminate that one. And the reason that I, I put um, it in 60 AD was to show you guys that just because something is old doesn't mean it's accurate. Okay. Old is important, but not alone, right? Because think about this. If one person made a really bad copy and a hundred people made great copies and that's really bad copy got stored in a safe somewhere and the others got circulated used and they crumbled apart because of overuse and then a thousand years later someone finds that safe and finds this really old document they're actually it's an old one so people will be like well it's the oldest one so clearly that's the correct rendering of the text not necessarily it's a good indication but it doesn't mean that it 100 is so in this case 
we looked at the date and we're like, maybe this is true. But then we looked at all the other facts and it led us to believe that A is not the correct translation. Okay. All right. So now we're kind of left with the more difficult part of this. From what's left, how are we going to determine what the truth is? So now we have to take everything into account at the same time. Um, what is one thing in common between all six of these documents? She stood. Yes, she stood by the waterfall. No matter how it's phrased, each of these documents says that she stood by the waterfall. Okay, so we know that that was most likely in the original. Okay, now let's look at the phrasing of just that sentence, just the part about standing. Okay, can we maybe eliminate anything else based on just that? Um, F, because that one says as she stood there and watched and everywhere else says she stood by the waterfall. Exactly. Yes. So, and you have done something that scholars do which is scholars say that the more embellished a text is, the more details are thrown in, the less likely it is to be accurate because scribes over time, especially when they're doing translations, will read something and they'll be like, ugh, that's difficult. That doesn't really make sense. Let me add in a few words just to try and give better meaning to the text. And that's not always a bad thing, a lot of our modern translations do that too, because if we literally had a word for word translation, a lot of it wouldn't make sense. However, sometimes they take a little too much liberty and they add a little too much. Another thing that happens over time is um, anyone like to write in their Bibles, like notes in pencil on the side? The same thing happened with manuscripts. People would own a manuscript and on the side, they would make notes. And as those were copied, <laughs> sorry, as those were copied and copied, sometimes the, the notes would land up being put into the text. Okay. So that's why scholars typically say anything that's really long, especially compared to everything else, is probably not a correct rendering of the text. So we can eliminate M. Okay. Now, let's see what we have left. She stood by the waterfall and wept. She stood by the waterfall and it wept. She wept as she stood by the waterfall. She stood by the waterfall and it seemed to weep. She stood, her fall, it wept. Okay, so we have three documents left that indicate that the waterfall cried and two, that she cried, okay? Now, some people might go, well, more is more likely to be the accurate than less. And so we have actually discovered a real problem that biblical scholars have. So I'm sure all of you will know that we have so many translations of the Bible in English that it's insane. Okay. Now, some of that is because people opt for a literal translation. So trying to stay as close to word for word as possible versus Mm, this is an idea, okay? And they're trying to convey the idea. 
But there's another thing that different translations use. And that is there's disagreement between should we use the oldest documents or should we use the greatest volume of documents? So in this case, we have two that say that she wept and three that say that the waterfall wept. So if this was a Bible, certain groups of translations would be like, we choose to side with majority. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the term, the majority text. It's, it's a way of translating the Bible. They say we base it on the majority text. So the most amount of documents, okay? But others will say, no, we need to go back to the oldest. But, but the people who do majority will say, oh, but you have to be careful with the oldest because of what we discovered in document A, that oldest doesn't always mean accurate. Um, and then you get translations that kind of look at both and, and try and make a good judgment, okay? So it's not to say that anyone necessarily is wrong when they do this, but it, it's really up to interpretation, okay? So. In this case, we have three that say it wept and two that say that she wept. So let's look at some other things, okay? We have learned that scribes insert words and the shortest version is usually the accurate version. So let's go read some of the shorter ones and also look for the ones that are the most similar, okay? The ones that are the most similar all start with she stood, correct? Four of them say that. She stood by the waterfall. She stood by the waterfall. She stood missing mm, waterfall, which leads us to believe that's probably correct. Okay. So we can eliminate D because it's the only one that doesn't say this. And it ascribes weeping to her. So now we have two reasons to disregard it. Okay. Now we're going to look at another thing. The only document we have left that says that she wept is B. Now notice what is similar between these two besides um, she stood by the waterfall. They're both from Greece. They're both from Greece. Very good. So another thing that scholars do is usually if you have a group of documents that are very similar to each other, but they all come from the same region, you have to be careful because more than likely they all copied from the same thing. So if that one thing had an error, that means everything in that area would have had the same error, which is why Dalton, I was mentioning earlier, the further the distance and even different languages actually helps to verify the text. So if you have one in Greece saying she stood by the waterfall and one in Africa saying she stood by the waterfall, most likely that's correct. But if you have two in Greece saying she stood and watch the waterfall, you've got to be careful. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but you've got to take all these things in con into consideration together, okay? So based on that, we're going to eliminate B as well. So we have um, C, G, and H left. But remember that Ashley pointed out the style of B is similar. So we keep that in mind. Just because we're eliminating it doesn't mean that it doesn't add value to the process. Okay, so she stood by the waterfall and it wept. She stood waterfall, it wept. She stood by the waterfall and it seemed to weep. And keep in mind, she stood by the waterfall and wept. 
What's one other thing we learned that can help us eliminate one of these three? We've already used it to eliminate. Or over. Yes. Yeah. Over explaining. Okay. So this is a longer version. The others are shorter. So most likely H is incorrect in that it's the scribe trying to make sense of a shorter sentence. So now we have these two left. Keeping in mind the others we've eliminated, especially the ones that have a similar style. Okay. Let's look at the ones that have a similar style. What is the difference between them? She stood by the waterfall and wept. She stood, mm, waterfall, period, it wept. She stood by the waterfall and it seemed to weep. All of them are the same until waterfall. And all of them end with weep or wept. So more than likely, and the styles are the same, right? They have the same handwriting, which I use to indicate style. So more than likely, the scribe knew that that was the original. It ended with wept, but they needed to make sense of the middle. So we eliminated H because it was too much overemphasizing. Mm -hmm. And now we just have this one, which is a different style, but keeping in mind what we just learned, What's the difference here? And. and, just and, okay? Over here, the only difference is it. And so that changed the whole meaning of the sentence when we took out it, right? So we only have C and G left. And now what you choose to believe is the original really doesn't matter because the idea between C and G is the same it doesn't really change the meaning of the text. Scholars would probably say that G is the most accurate rendering because it is the shortest, has the same style as the writer, retains, um, um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> it retains the same wording as the general idea and it ascribes weeping to the waterfall. So more than likely, the original said, she stood by the waterfall, it wept, which is consistent with them, the previous author having these really short sentences, right? Water upon stone and very metaphorical language, ascribing human characteristics to inanimate objects. But later on, scribes read it and they saw waterfall, period, it wept. And they went, okay, who wept? The waterfall, really? Uh, okay. So some of them went, mm -mm. it must have meant, it seemed to. yeah, it seemed to weep or maybe she was weeping. So I'm just going to change it to and maybe someone translated the it wrong. And so this is what scholars do. And to you, that might be like, wow, that was really difficult. I mean, like, how do you know that actually the one from Greece, that's the oldest, isn't correct. But remember, this is why the New Testament is great, because this is what the people who are reading Plato and Homer's Iliad have to do, they have so few manuscripts and they have differences in them and they have to use their judgment to determine what the original was. We have over 25,000 excluding one, 1 million quotations. And so you might think, oh no, 25,000 of these papers to compare, but that's not the case. Most of the time they're the same. So you'll have, for example, a thousand of B, 3000 of G, 
And so you're not having 25,000 absolutely different documents to compare. You're having a lot of the same kind to compare, which helps you, right? If you know, if you knew from the beginning that B, uh, C, G, and H had over a thousand copies each, and the others only had less than 10, immediately you probably would have been like, well, I'll quickly look at them and make sure the other criteria kind of eliminates them. But generally, I can probably say that I can eliminate four straight off the bat, right? And so, and remember what they told us, right? That most of the time the errors and the variance are spelling errors. So if I should have actually done that, <coughs> I should have like changed E and P or put like whip instead of weep because that's most of the errors. It's just spelling errors, which are easy to spot, right? This was difficult because we were trying to determine what was being said, but with a spelling error, you quickly would have picked it up. And so most of the time, the variants don't even matter. There are a few that matter, but none of them change any of our theology. They're very minor. I'm gonna send a link um, when I send out the email which has a video and I kind of went down a rabbit hole and I uh, watched this guy for way too many hours yesterday, but he actually takes one. I don't know if he does all of them because I haven't watched all his videos, but I watched a lot. He takes all the discrepancies and he shows them to you. And he says, okay, in Matthew two verse nine, it says this, and you'll notice some Bibles say this, why did one Bible decide this and another this? And then he'll say, here are all the, the, the manuscript evidence blah 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 for this way and all the manuscript evidence for this way and he'll even show you some of the really weird translations like really embellished stuff which will have like one copy and then he'll take you through the process because of this reason we eliminated this because of this we eliminated this and i found it really interesting uh kind of bothered me because like a lot of the verses that are eliminated are in my bible and i stand by them really strictly so i might have to reevaluate my uh my convictions. Um, but it, he was really great. So I recommend listening to him. Um, but yeah, I know that went on. I thought the exercise was going to go way quicker. I'm sorry that I babbled on for so long. But I hope that gave you a little bit of confidence when thinking about how people look at the manuscripts. Um, because if you if you're really into this, and you do research, you are going to find um, opponents of the Bible and the New Testament say stuff like they made copies of copies of copies of copies. And so it's like broken telephone. What was the original? We don't even know. But that's not the case. It wasn't that one copy and then a copy of that copy and then a copy of that copy. If that was the case, we'd have a big problem. But we don't. We have a set of manuscripts over a long period of time ranging back all the way to only 60 years after the original was written in one case. And we have thousands of them to compare. And we're not copying those manuscripts. Every time a, a Bible translation is made, they go back to the manuscripts and they read what they say. And those manuscripts are compared to each other. And that's how we come to the New Testament. And the few differences we have, none of them are doctrinal. So nothing changes the core of our faith. Even if we decide to eliminate one sentence from the Bible, that's disputed, all those sentences don't actually change anything that we fundamentally believe. And so I think the statistics are something like, I know it's um, above, definitely above 96, but I think it's actually 98. 
So let's just be conservative. 96% of the Bible is undisputed. Like it's word for word. We know what it said. And then the rest of it, most of that fraction that's left is spelling and grammar or synonyms. Like one version says, therefore, and another says, consequently, like it doesn't matter, you know? And then there's a tiny fraction of like sentences missing or added and two paragraphs in the whole Bible that people say, I don't know if that was really in there. And I think if I remember correctly, one was the pool, you know, the angel stirring the pool story. Um, one guy says he's trying to get in the water to get healed. He's talking to Jesus and Jesus is like, why don't you get in? He's like, oh, before I can get in the people going before me. And they say the reason people got healed was because an angel stirred the water. There's dispute whether that was originally in the text or whether that was a side note that someone wrote on the side because it was culturally believed and then got added in. And then the other one is about um, the woman caught in adultery, but I actually, I haven't gone and read what's the, the disputed part of it yet. But in both those cases, if we eliminate that out the Bible, it doesn't change our faith at all. It really doesn't matter. So I hope that gave you some confidence. Um, and made you feel secure that the people translating your Bibles aren't out to get you and we aren't believing a broken telephone type of theology. Okay. Anyone have comments before we go to prayer requests? I had an interesting thought while you were talking. Um, I, I haven't, I don't have a copy of like the message translation of the Bible but it really makes me wonder, like, I don't know if this would even happen, but like, you know, 2000 years from now, if people are like comparing that to like a different translation of the Bible and like, I wonder how they would compare those and if they would eliminate that, if it was a historical document, you know, it's just yeah, very hypothetical, but um, so just speaking, if a message version of the Greek New Testament existed, it would have been eliminated because it did not conform to the overwhelming, overwhelming majority. Yeah. Um, and we, you got to understand culture, right? We're in a culture where people want to make money. People want to have their own spin on things. And so people keep producing more and more translations of the English version. English is the only language that we have so many translations. Most majority of languages in the world have one, that's it, right? And theirs is as close to the original as possible. They're trying to do a word for word version. But because we are in the Western world and everyone, you know, we have scholars and intellectuals and they're like, well, I think he actually meant da 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 da, you know? Um, and so it would have been rejected just because the general consensus is this is the word of God. We don't want to change it. Uh, and that's another reason why I prefer little translations is because in, in Revelations, there's a curse, right? And it says, whoever adds to these words, all the plagues in this book will be added to him. And whoever removes from these words, his name will be removed from the book of life. And I'm like, that is a serious curse. And so I feel sorry for translators because I, I'd be so terrified <laughs> when translating the Bible, knowing that curse. So I prefer the little literal translations and not the interpretations. And that was the general thought back in the day was this is the word of God. 
you try as hard as you can not to alter or change it in any way unless absolutely necessary. For example, some words in Greek don't have equivalents in other languages. And so the scribe had to choose a phrase that would mean as close to the Greek meaning as possible. So there are exceptions, but generally no like airy fairy, over elaborate message, passion. Uh, what's that? Amplified Bible. That one adds so much information in it. So yeah, those would have been eliminated. Um, interesting fact though, uh, I used to be staunch against the Message Bible uh, because of that, because it really took liberties. But um, I actually read the, I don't know what you call it, like the foreword before the Bible actually starts written by the guy who translated it. And he actually says, this is literally for like the newest, newest believers who really struggle with reading. And he says, you cannot use this as a study Bible. And once you're a mature Christian, please get yourself a proper Bible. And that made me gain a little more, <laughs> that made me gain a little more respect for him. Cause at least he, you know, he said, this is not a legit Bible. This is more like an extensive commentary on the Bible. Um, but yes, hope that answers your question. It does. And also when you said that there was only like English is the one language that has like tons of translations of the Bible. Um, I'm, I'm Ukrainian. And so I grew up reading the Russian Bible. And as far as I'm aware, there's only one translation mm -hmm. in the Russian Bible. So I was like, oh yeah, I didn't, I never realized that really. And I mean, to be fair, that doesn't mean that that one in whatever language is perfect, right? But it just becomes harder when you have, I don't even know how many translations we're at right now, A lot. but there's just so many and they keep revising them. So you have like ESV and then revise ESV and revise for revised. And so they're all different. And so for us, it's way harder to, to pick a version. Whereas if a person only has one option, they only have one, one option, but that doesn't mean it's the best version that they could possibly get. But it also eliminates problems. So pro and con. Any other comments? There's 61 English versions. There's 61 like English well, on, the like on the Bible app. Oh, on only the on the Bible app. app. Yeah. Cool. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, if you're really, really going into it, like, so I actually have a friend that's getting into, uh, well, at least was getting into translating. He's going to go to Africa and translate um, versions there. But like, so working on his master's degree, he actually had to translate um, part of the Bible for that. So I mean, if you count like the grad students working on their degrees, like you get into tens, if not hundreds of thousands, like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but those aren't being published and like yeah they're not being out. published yeah yeah and typically it's his own most... personal bible <laughs> i mean there are some libraries. there are yeah, some people that library. that do publish their own versions right. yeah but most common translations they have a group of people that sit together and mm -hmm. make judgment calls so it's not one person putting their own spin on things yeah yeah there's nasby 1995 what's that the New American Standard Bible, 1995. Oh, like 19, yeah. So that's just a, are you just saying like that's just a version? Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. version. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. If you have any other comments, you can add it with your prayer request. Um, I know we went over time and I know some of you, some of you are very strict on time and you want to leave. So I won't be offended if you log off, but I do want to ask these questions. So if you want to go, 
no hard feelings. God bless you. Thank you for bear, bearing with me till this point. But if you're willing to stay, let's say 10 minutes more, I really like to do these questions because like I said, I want to review. I want you to keep stuff in your head so that you know how to respond to people. Troy and Helene, I see that Troy's like, Rrr. so you guys can leave if you want to Troy. It's fine. <laughs> Bye guys. Anyone else who wants to leave, that's fine. I won't be offended. I know I went really long on the document stuff and I didn't intend to. You, if you guys want to sneak out, you can sneak out too. <laughs> and here's my husband. Um, what are the three main criteria we use when determining if the manuscripts are that we still have today match the original? What are three things that we look at? He mentioned it in his video and we used all three and when we were looking at the fake document it's the the date the number and the trustworthiness of the method itself yes very good so the age the amount of documents and then the uh, using a trustworthy method so textual criticism to evaluate um what would you say Dalton you know how to answer could you answer what would you say to someone who still says that the oldest copies aren't old enough or that they are not close enough to the autograph date? So when the originals were written. The autographs last for 150 years. So if it's 150 years or less, that's probably okay. Or 200 years or whatever. Why is it okay? Because the books lasted for so long and they kept them preserved and in a special place. Okay, but why are you telling me that? Because you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yes, but remember to tell them the oldest document that we have yes. lines up yeah. when, with Perfectly what you're saying. Yes, there's some other things you could say, anyone else? There's a lot of responses you could, you could add. That was a good one. It's something we've said a lot in previous sessions for if people doubt the New Testament, what do we tell them? that you have to if throw they, uh, out all historical works, right? So if there's if they're saying the documents we have for the New Testament aren't old enough or aren't enough, then they have to throw out all history because we have the most attested historical book slash documents in the world. Um, my next question was, what would you say if they said we don't have enough? And you already know the answer. Um, okay, what if someone comes to you and says, but there's so many errors in your documents? Emily. Uh, that most of the errors are just simple mistakes like spelling and that you know what it means anyway. Good point. Yes. What else could you say? What if they're like, but 400 thousand variants a lot of it's just synonyms too synonyms yeah because we have so many documents at four hundred thousand actually yes that much. yes because we have so many documents having four hundred thousand variants is not a lot right so if you have twenty five thousand documents right and remember a lot of Although some of those things are fragments or pages, 
a lot of that is complete New Testament, right? And so if each of those has 10 spelling errors, right, for each 25,000, that's already more than half of the total errors overall. So even though it's a lot, it's really not that many. Um, I had another point that I thought of for that. Oh, oh, oh. Um, correct their language as well, because they're saying there's so many errors and say to them, first of all, no, they aren't errors, they're variants. A variant doesn't mean an error. If you say, I went to Bible study, if Stephen says, I went to Bible study, and Ashley says, Stephen and I went to Bible study, is that an error? No, it's a variant. Both are telling the truth. They're just telling it from their perspective and neither actually contradicts the other. So just because something is a variant doesn't mean it's an error, okay? Error means it is wrong. That would be like saying, Stephen saying, Ashley and I have zero children and Ashley saying we have five children. That's an error. There's no way you reconcile those things, okay? So most are variants, not errors. And most of the variants are synonyms, grammatical things or embellishments like and this, you know, um, and then the errors would be a lot of them are spelling errors. And then we only have a handful that are actual errors or discrepancies. And we can explain all of those. And most Bible translations will tell you, hey, they'll put a little footnote and say, in this version, it says blah, 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 blah. Um, if you have the New King James, the, the scribes adding fluff, they'll put in italics. So if you just read the normal words without the italics, you get the original and the italics is them putting in conjunctions and stuff to help it read more naturally. If you don't have a Bible that has the little footnotes, I would suggest getting one because it's good for you to see because you're not going to be able to see the manuscripts, right? So it's good to have a Bible that says, we chose this, but just so you know, there are others that say this, just for the sake of knowing, right? Uh, last question. Uh, someone says to you, but the documents were changed later. How do you respond? Either Stephen or Donna or both? Um, is it because it's not possible to change all the manuscripts? Like they can't all be corrupted? Yep. Thousands of years later, there's yep. still gonna be some that have the original like saying or yep. what it was intended to you say. can't corrupt them all. You can't change them all. Too many. Anything you wanna add? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Another thing I would add is that they're making the incorrect assumption of a copy of a copy of a copy, you know, and one person changed something and now everything is corrupt. So they're thinking a line like this and we're going, no, but like every few years we have lines like this, right? Of thousands of documents from that century. And then we're looking at the whole group and we're comparing them to each other. It's not a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. That's not what's happening. All right, thanks for staying 10 extra minutes. Appreciate it. I uh, hope you guys have a great day.
and will be in person with us soon, Emily and Dalton. I can't wait to meet you in person. All right, thanks guys. Have a great weekend. Thank Bye. you. See you guys.